So this morning I uh, I heard from Clayton that we had uh, three more officers shot and killed in Louisiana. Not only that, but there were other what I'm assuming were bystanders that were injured in whatever transpired there. And I was sharing, uh, before Clayton came in, I was sharing with uh, a few of you my visit to uh, Arthur Johnson's house on Thursday evening. Arthur, as many of you know, is in hospice care at home. Uh, It looks as if the Lord will take him home any day now. And we had the the privilege, a few of us, of going over there and baptizing Arthur. And in the course of that, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and his Savior. Um, What occurred Thursday was affirming for me because... Uh, one of Arthur's hospice caretakers is a rather large African-American man. And during my visit, uh, Arthur made... confession to uh, this hospice worker, Mark, that he uh, had been um, his words, a, a bigot for all of his life. And he said to uh, Mark, because you're the only one of your people within earshot Um, I want to say to you that I'm sorry and that I love you. To which Mark, with tears in his eyes, uh, bent over Arthur's bed and said, Don't you give it another thought. God is bigger than all of this. Now that confirmed two things for me. One... Arthur's transformation is real. His acceptance of Jesus as Lord and Savior is real. Transforming. And two, if two men of different races can come together in confession, repentance, and forgiveness... Arthur for himself, Mark for whatever, then there is light at the end of whatever is going on in this world, in this nation. But it has to start 
with each of us as individuals acknowledging that we are all of us fallen short daily of the glory that is God. And that acknowledging that we are all created in the image and the likeness of God. We should be able to find common ground through all of this. And my prayer is that the violence would stop. And that we would see each other through God's eyes. And not as the media would have us see it. Not as our government would have us see it. But as God sees it. Now, there is in some way a connection to what I want to preach about today. I'm just not at all sure what it is. Maybe we can discover it together this morning. In the epistle, we have, we have been talking these past weeks about Paul's letters and digging a little deeper into them to see what it is He has to teach us. And in Colossians, uh, the first chapter beginning at verse 15, Paul is talking about the supremacy of Christ, the authority of Christ. And he begins in verse 15 by saying, He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He, Christ Himself, is before all things, and in Him all things. All things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of His cross. And maybe we found the connection already. Peace is found through the blood of His cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope 
promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. When Paul talks about Jesus as the image of the invisible God, what does he mean? See, to understand what Paul is saying there, we need to understand just a little bit about the mind of the Greek audience to whom he was speaking. See, in the Greek mind, images are tangible expressions of the mystic, of the supernatural, of the divine unseen realm. So to a Greek Gentile Christian in the church at Colossae who is seeking to understand who Christ is, Jesus as an image of the invisible God is an expression of the divine incarnation of God into the human form of Jesus. To the Greek mind, Paul is saying that Jesus is the incarnation. The very substance of God's purposes and intentions for His creation, which includes us. And then Paul calls Jesus the firstborn over all creation. Now we need to look at this carefully. We do not want to ever misunderstand this to mean that Paul was saying that Jesus Christ was created. Remember, Jesus is a person of the triune God. He is in substance and station God. And if that weren't so, there wouldn't be a trinity. But it is so. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus is the pattern, the template by whom God's perfect and divine purposes and plan are perfectly revealed to us, His creation. He's not saying Jesus was created. He's saying that He is the perfect pattern that we emulate as His creation. Paul talks about the integrated nature of creation. All things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. See, what he's saying is that Jesus is intimately involved in, at the center of creation. All of creation. Things seen and things unseen. He has authority over the physical realm and over the spiritual realm. And those realms aren't separate seems like it, but they're not. They are not separate. They are woven together in Him. 
You cannot separate you, you from your soul, from your spirit. They are woven together. And they are ultimately in submission to Him so that God's purpose for creation will be accomplished. In verse 24, Paul writes, I am now rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body. That is the church. I became its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery that has been hidden through the ages and generations but has now been revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is He whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven or in earth, by making peace through the blood of his cross. That statement requires a little bit of thought to get our minds around what he's trying to say. See, he's describing the divine action of God. God acted fully and completely in Christ. There is... Nothing lacking in God's reconciliation of His creation. Did you catch that? There is nothing lacking in God's reconciliation of His creation. Through the sacrifice of His only Son, Jesus, on the cross, there is nothing lacking. Fullness in this sense, means completeness. Nothing left out. Nothing still to be done. It's finished. The work of salvation is done. The work of redemption is done. The work of reconciliation is done. The abolishment of sin and death, it's done. It's all done through Christ our Lord. So what does that mean for us? See, he says in verse 21, And you who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. Provided that. Provided that. You continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. See, Paul is describing a conditional relationship between our actions and God's redemptive action. 
Now let's look at a different translation because I want this to be very clear. In the New King James Version, it says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope, of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven. Still not clear enough. Try this. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, then... You who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. If then, provided that. You see that we have a responsibility in this? We have to be careful how we understand this lest we drift into an incorrect works-based interpretation of what Paul is saying. So understand first that salvation, justification, is a free gift from God that cannot be earned by works. Paul is saying that once we are reconciled through Christ by His pouring out of His blood on the cross then we have a responsibility. I dare say we even have the very ability by the power of the Holy Spirit now working in our lives towards sanctification. In other words, without Christ, without His saving work in our lives, we don't even have the ability to respond appropriately. But when we accept Jesus, then we are given through the power of the Holy Spirit the ability to respond. And the response is that we remain on that sanctifying road by continuing in the faith and remaining grounded and steadfast in the hope of the gospel, which you have heard even this very morning. I like the message translation. Bear with me. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together whole and holy in His presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned in to the gospel, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other gospel, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets the same gospel. So my question for you this morning 
is have you taken upon yourself the personal responsibility to continue in the faith and remain grounded and steadfast in the hope of the gospel? Where are you on the sanctifying road? Have you even taken the first step on the road, which is to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Justification is the first step to sanctification. And in justification, you have the responsibility to ask in order to begin the journey. Now, if you're already on the road to sanctification, have you taken any side roads, back roads, or rabbit trails lately? See, the road is long, lifelong. On the road trip of sanctification, the roadside diversions and distractions and temptations of the world beckon to you like Bucky's billboards. We are enticed to stop and indulge in the world's temptations. But don't be diverted. Do not take that exit ramp. As tempting as that big old beaver is, do not take the exit ramp. Don't be distracted from the ultimate destination. And don't leave church today, please, Lord Jesus, thinking that the only thing you heard me say this morning was that you can't stop at Bucky's anymore. It's not as much fun when I have to explain it. Run the road of sanctification with the focus and perseverance of a cross-country runner. The road is lined with spectators who want to see how you are running your race towards sanctification. How you run your race is a witness and a testimony to the non-believing world. So be careful to run with integrity and stay on the course. The author of Hebrews, known only to God, wrote, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer, the author, and perfecter of our faith. That's the connection. There's no room for hatred in a heart full of of Jesus. None. No space. Can't fit a hateful thought in sideways if your heart is full of Jesus. May we carry that message from this place out into the world. 
so that more occurrences like what happened at Arthur's bedside between he and Mark, more occurrences like that are possible. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.